CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to Consensus. You're watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. I am Zach Seward, and we have an amazing crew here today. Let's hear from the crew. Ben Powers is back, first and foremost. Original Hash founding member. He's back, baby. Welcome back, Ben. We got Jen Sinassi, we got Will Foxley, and we have Wendy O. It's going to be a good time. How are you guys doing in Austin so far? Wendy, what's up? It's very hot. That is very, true. Very, hot. That is true. Good time, though. Good time. It's really hot out. It's like over 100 every single day this week. So that's pretty awful. Luckily, we're inside, and it's nice AC. We got some friendly faces. Got to see Ben again. Jen, always great to see you. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do the regular thing here on The Hash, which is get you up to speed on the news of the day. First off, we're talking about Terraform Labs versus SEC. Now, here's the history on this one. Last September, Do Kwon, founder of Terraform Labs, the figurehead of the Terra ecosystem, was at a conference, Masari's mainnet. He was going to go speak on stage, and the SEC said, Sir, you just got served. So he was served with some papers at this conference, and he disputed, and he said, the SEC did not follow its procedures in serving me. Uh, my thoughts on this one. Okay, Terraform Labs is being hammered by like multiple jurisdictions across the globe. We're seeing it on a lot of different fronts, international front. I was talking about this morning, actually. Stable coins are a huge issue for governments right now, and the USD debacle only highlighted that because it was an algorithmic stable coin that collapsed. A lot of these regulators, they're looking for any reason to pounce on this subject, and so they're trying to, like, basically create a wall for this new product where one did not exist previously. So the UK has been looking into stablecoins recently. The EU is doing it as well. We saw that Jaren Yellen was uh, on Capitol Hill a few weeks ago talking about stablecoins. So that's like the groundwork for it. Then you have this investigation by South Korean authorities into Terraform Labs as well for the liquidations of this Bitcoin. But like, was the Bitcoin that they sold to defend the peg sold or not, or did they hold it, and are they like, keeping it on their bankroll? South Korean authorities are looking into that. And now we have this thing with the serving in the SEC, which, like you said, Zach, goes in the Mirror Protocol. Which Mirror Protocol, basically an unauthorized stock market for U.S. securities. U.S. is going to have jurisdiction over that because it's their markets. 
It doesn't matter if you are in Singapore, South Korea, wherever, those are US securities, and so they can be enforced by the SEC. So long story short, they got a lot of stuff going on, and it's not a great situation for Doquan or Terraform Labs. We're seeing like the, what I'd compare it to like uh, the firefighters going into a burned out building and being like, okay, we're gonna flip over this, see if it's burned, okay, where did this start? What's happening here? Where was the arsonist? What can we like bring up in court to like slam these guys down? I don't know, that's my take on it. Wendy? Okay, so this is a very big story. There is a lot to talk about. And when I hear that the SEC is going after Terraform Labs, we already know that the SEC has got their hands in everything, regardless if it's a matter at home or if it's abroad, because they've got reach. And we see them doing this a lot. But now with this new proposed bill from Senator Loomis that may actually change to give jurisdiction to the CFTC, which I think is a very interesting time, especially to introduce this whole thing. Now, we all know that Southeast Asia is supposed to be like crypto friendly, so it makes sense that he was out over there doing his business and whatnot. But I think it's an interesting point that you brought up with the Bitcoin that was supposed to be backing this stable coin. Where is it? What happened? Because there's all these conflicting reports. We keep hearing about it in the news. We keep hearing about all these rumors on Twitter and all these other outlets. What happened to this Bitcoin? And now they're getting investigated. They got served by the SEC. But how much power does the SEC really have when it comes to going after somebody like this? And me, I like to put my little tinfoil hat on and kind of do a little bit of critical we thinking know. here. I think it's very interesting that we heard Gary Gensler say very bad things about stablecoins, comparing them to what? Was it poker chips? So we've got, you know, these poker chips that are out there. So we knew that there was going to be very harsh regulation coming to stablecoins. Then we see UST completely depeg. And we also know that we're gonna be introducing a CBDC that's coming, supposedly. So it kind of feels like some of this may be kind of coordinated, but not, but it is in a way. So I'm kind of taking all of this in, you know, just kind of trying to follow the money the best way that I can and trying to make it make sense. Because how does something grow so big without any government oversight, like the SEC not coming in, saying what's going on, and then all of a sudden the SEC is super excited to go after them? We obviously know, you know, there's a lot of things that happened. People lost a lot of money, which was terrible. But why did they wait this long if they cared so much about protecting investors? That's kind of my point with this story. And I want to hand it over to Jen. Yeah, so when Doquan was served the subpoena, I don't think we could have predicted what was going to happen with UST, right? And so the story says that the SEC served the subpoena because 15% of users were based in the U.S. And I think what's happened with UST is going to give the SEC that leverage they need to go after other companies who may have a percentage of users in the U.S. but are based and operating elsewhere. Zach, you want to jump in? I'll jump in. Okay. I mean, it's easy to kick Terra while they're down, but I think that is the point of this story that's yeah. a bit troubling. If I'm a U.S. innovator in the DeFi space and I have some exposure to the U.S. market, oh, okay, now the SEC can mm -hmm. come knock on my door and make my life miserable for the foreseeable future. I think that is actually potentially really dampening to the innovation in the DeFi space here in the U.S., right? The lawsuit indicates the users. It also indicates, hey, there was a high-up sort of employee who was based here. Uh, hey, you were working with a U.S.-based investment fund over a certain amount of money related to this project. So if that becomes sort of the rules of engagement for how the SEC can go after people, I think a lot of the builders in this room might be pretty worried about having a presence in the U.S. And I think that's something that needs to be ironed out as this regulatory conversation really ramps up in D.C. 
So just quickly before I pass it off to you, Ben, I'm curious to see what happens in Korea because Do Kwan comes from a very prominent Korean family. I don't know what kind of sway they may have politically, but I was very surprised to see the criminal investigation come so quickly, and I'm really interested to see how that plays out. But Ben. Is that really surprising, though? You know, I think that the SEC's mandate is to try and protect, you know, citizens in the country from securities, other things. Certainly, there are differing opinions on what that means. But I think, you know, looking at that, that's a reasonable thing for the SEC to be looking at. And I think it's a risk factor you have to take into account if you're a builder looking to, you know, attract a large U.S. audience and even have a large presence in the country. And I think the unfortunate reality is, you said, you know, we don't want to necessarily kick terror when it's down. But we saw what happened. And this is potentially what the SEC was worried about in the first place. And you saw people lose huge amounts of money. So, you know, while it could put a dampening effect on some of these protocols, which is important, I do think it's not totally unexpected. One thing I want to add really quickly is that the SEC really cared so much and was so concerned about protecting people. Why couldn't they get their stuff together and start to establish more clear guidelines in the last few years? Like Bitcoin has been around for a decade plus. Altcoins have been around for quite some time. And if you're so concerned with protecting people who need to be protected, why weren't their guidelines established so that they could go after these bad actors more aggressively? All right, we're going to change gears here. We're going to go to the investment world. And I am going to pass it straight to Ben for some news out of Coinbase. Ben, take it away. All right. So Coinbase Global is doing a strategic investment in Zipmex, an Indonesian-based centralized exchange, which is doing a B-series raise of about $40 million to push its overall value to about $400 million, according to a report from The Block. Now, what's interesting is that strategic investment is a step back from an overall acquisition that they were supposedly planning, but decided not to in March. Now, this comes amid a downturn in larger crypto market, Coinbase's stock price sliding a whole bunch from its IPO, as well as Coinbase rescinding previous job offers that they've seen. So to me, this kind of plugs into all that, but I'm curious to get you all's thoughts about, you know, how important a strategic investment may be, whether they're looking to get more of an international foothold, and also just kind of how you're seeing this ecosystem develop, particularly with centralized exchanges investing in other centralized exchanges. I got you. I think this story is actually not that interesting, but I think it does matter because, <laughs> bear with me, because we get a return to what Coinbase has been doing the last six months, which has not been great. And that is the important story here. Coinbase has not been doing that well. Last two weeks, we saw that they rescinded a bunch of job offers, like high profile job offers. Did you guys see them on LinkedIn? Like the people being like, hey, I have a PhD. I just turned down like all these different programs, all these jobs because I got a job at Coinbase and Coinbase rugged me. That's a bad look for Coinbase. At the same time, their stock is down about 75% since November. It peaked at like 360 a buck or uh, 360 a share. Now it's trading around $70 a share. They've been like riding the roller coasters from the stock market angle. And then they've really just put themselves in a hole in terms of like crypto graces. No one really wants to be associated with that name brand right now. So it's interesting to see the fact that like they're not able to perform well with like the job market, with the stock market, but they're still able to get these aqua hires going. They're still looking to expand. And to your point, Ben, like that is maybe like a corollary story that is interesting, is the fact that Coinbase is trying to grow its product market. There was some reports, Zach, you probably know this better than I do, but they were trying to move into Brazil with some acquisitions, which was pretty nice. Don't think that worked out. I thought it fizzled at a certain point. Now they're trying to move into New Zealand market, trying to move into just different markets in general, which shows you about like their global ambitions. It's confusing though to see them offer like this millions of dollars right when they just dumped a bunch of offers to regular people who are going to work at Coinbase. But Zach, I'm going to throw this over to you. Get your take on it. 
I will take it. Um, yeah, I think the timing is notable, right? So on the one hand, cost-cutting measures have been announced. On the other, hey, our VC activity is still chugging along. We don't know when this deal was ultimately closed and whether the announcement is just timed out in a way that looks kind of odd, but it definitely looks kind of odd when the news around the offers being rescinded is certainly out there among the crypto Twitterati. So, I don't know. I mean, there is a bullish spin here, right? Coinbase is trying to expand its global presence and has the money to do that through strategic investments. Maybe the cost cutting isn't going to be so bad after all. But again, the timing hurts a little bit for those folks who had their jobs pulled after making that leap into Coinbase land. But I saw Ben's hand up, so I'm going to toss it his way. I think it's also worth pointing out too that this isn't just a crypto issue per se. Like we see VCs jumping in on companies, you know, kind of buying this dip or investing in this dip in overall stock markets. You know, Tesla said it's going to cut 10% of its workforce. Uh, you have other companies kind of rescinding offers. So, you know, it's interesting, but it's not, you know, super unique to crypto. And it also does show that crypto is kind of tied to this overall stock market, which it is generally claimed to be independent of. So just a little footnote here, but not just Coinbase, lots of other companies that were doing well, not doing as well right now. I got to pop in here. I got to pop in because I've got a big problem with what's going on. And I'm going to speak for the underdogs here. So we have all these people, all these big companies in crypto that did really well and they made a lot, a lot of money. What were you doing with your funds during the bull market? What were you doing with your funds? And for you to rescind job offers, I understand that's like, from a business perspective, I understand why that that's done because people need to keep their profit margins up, you know, they're public, all of that type of stuff. But at the same time, it's not a good look when we're talking about going into this potential recession, potentially a depression. So number one, that's my issue. I understand that they have to invest money overseas, they have to kind of establish their footprint as a business-wise, but at the same time, during this kind of market downturn, I think that these big crypto companies need to do better. They need to set a better example for the industry. Somebody like Coinbase, they're massive. Everybody generally downloads Coinbase as their first entry point. I did in 2017. But I feel like they need to set the tone and establish like, hey, just because you know we're possibly going into a recession, which we know we're in a recession, they need to set a good example and start building. And I do use Coinbase, but at the same time, you know what? I've got like literally 10 accounts on every single crypto exchange that I can because it's good OPSEC and you got to use different emails, different passwords, all type of that stuff. We talk about it on my show a lot. But crypto as a whole, all these exchanges, if they want to survive, they are going to kind of have to operate like banks. And I know that's a very gross way to put it, but we need customer service. We need people that can help on-ramp average people like myself and average people like my mom, my sisters, my cousins, my you know grandparents, whatever. And Coinbase really could have used that opportunity to do this in this bear market, and I feel like they failed. I feel like this is doing that though, you know? I mean, yes, Coinbase has rescinded the job offers and that's horrible, I agree with both of you. But I think during the bull market, crypto companies were just hiring, offering these insane salaries. And that's the first thing that you can cut back on when you're looking at your roadmap. You can still offer those easy on-ramps, that educational material, and expand into different jurisdictions where that's needed while cutting back on employees. And so I'm not saying what they did was good, but I think if you're looking at it from a business perspective, they had this acquisition on the books. They didn't go through with it. We saw a lot of acquisitions in the bull market. It's changed now to a strategic partnership. If they can broaden into the Asian market during the bear, then maybe those jobs can come back during the next bull cycle and they can grow. And so I see where they're coming from, from a business perspective. 
Okay, we're going to talk about Mike Novogratz, who's predicting everyone's going to explode except for Galaxy Digital. Just as a disclaimer, Galaxy Digital is an investor in Compass Mining, which I am an employee of. So there you go. There's some information for you. Galaxy Digital is a huge crypto merchant bank in the space. They're also in the headlines quite a bit recently for what happened with UST, Terra, and the Luna debacle. Mike Novogratz is coming back into the spotlight. He is the founder of Galaxy Digital, also used to work at JP Morgan, a bunch of other places. He's like a three-time billionaire, impressive resume. He's coming out with some hot takes about what the next crypto market is going to look like, doubling down on hiring, but also saying that two-thirds of hedge funds, crypto hedge funds, are likely to fail. He's short equities. He's short general markets. He actually thinks that crypto could go down in the short term, but he's still building out for the next bull run. He wants to hire now, so Galaxy Digital is the premier leader going into the next market. Pretty interesting take because one, UST, Terra, Luna, his face was blasted on that. His arm was tattooed with Luna, so he got a bad rap from that. And then second of all, like the market is just, market's pretty rough. And he's like so bullish on it, even though most people are firing. We were just talking about Coinbase. They just rescinded a bunch of offers. Galaxy Digital seems to still want to hire folk. Zach, I'm actually going to throw this mic over to you, get your take on it. All right. So I think, uh, yeah, Mike Novogratz is often seen as sort of, you know, this uh, crypto sage, especially among the TradFi audience. So for him to come out and say this, I think is certainly notable and certainly going to raise eyebrows when a report like this comes out. So... You know, he may be right. There may be some scrubby crypto hedge funds out there that may be in for a rough go of it this next year or two. But who knows? In the long run, I think people who have seen these cycles play out are likely to be invested for that next cycle. We keep mentioning that. I will say that this whole Coinbase thing with the hiring and honestly, the terror collapse has created a lot of like opportunistic investments around courting these people who are otherwise left in a lurch, right? Whether that's terror projects who are considering whether or not to build their projects on the new Luna going forward, or whether it's Coinbase people who had a job lined up and then it's gone. You're seeing people at competing exchanges saying, hey, we'll take on these people. Binance US saying, hey, we'll hire some folks. And you're hearing something similar out of Novo here. So I think that's notable, sort of speaks to, I don't know, I guess the lack of talent in the space, right? Developers in Terraland are being courted actively by Polygon, Cadena, all sorts of chains, Solana, who are spinning up these funds that can invest in these builders for that next run up. So it's interesting to see kind of these talent dynamics play out, both in the wake of the Terra collapse, but also around these hiring decisions and these layoffs that we're seeing at some of these other firms. So Ben, I saw your hand. I'm tossing it to you. Go. Absolutely. Well, let's just remember that there are scummy hedge funds everywhere, right? So that's not just a purely uh, crypto thing. And what I think is important is like, just given the speed it seems at which these hedge funds get spun up, it makes sense that they're not all going to survive, right? Again, that's just kind of the nature of the game. It depends on when you spun it up, what you invested in, how much of a war chest you had in acquired during this sort of bull run to begin with. And so, you know, I think it's fair to be optimistic overall, but recognize that the sheer pace and number of these things cannot continue to go as they are. That being said, we're seeing, you know, VC and other funds continue to pour money into the space and buy this dip that you spoke of. So maybe that lets, you know, some things continue apace, some things downsize a little bit. But in terms of importing devs and employing people and everything like that, you know, if Coinbase is revoking, you know, employment offers from people, there are other crypto opportunities out there for people that do want them. And some people are seeing that hiring keep a piece. So I think, you know, 
maybe it's an overstatement to say two-thirds of these things will be gone. There will definitely be a downturn. But this is kind of what I like about bear markets in some ways. You get to separate the wheat from the chaff and like see who's maybe running a better ship than another. So that's an illuminating thing that can come out of an overall poor situation. So I have a take on the whole hiring aspect of Galaxy. I think that they're doing it for positive PR. Because why wouldn't, after a big debacle, a really, really big debacle, that, so whoever their PR person is, you've got a really, really great team working with you. But anyways, so they had this big debacle at Terra Luna. Well, then Coinbase said, we're not hiring anybody else because of this bear market, which people are upset about, me included. And now Galaxy Digital is coming out to say, well, you know what? I'm really bullish on crypto long term, and I'm going to hire more people to better prepare for the upcoming markets. To me, that is a really, really smart PR move. And I also think that it shows us all a learning experience for what we kind of can expect for this bear market. We're seeing a lot of people still building, which is really, really good. I'm excited about. I feel like this bear market may be different than the last one that we had. And the reason why is we actually have products that work. And I know it's kind of weird to call crypto things that are intangible products, but isn't that what they are at the end of the day? They're products, they're services. So even though the bear market does bring a lot of pain, a lot of duress, I still think it is a good time for people to continue to kind of take a step back, look at what they've invested in, look at what they're doing, how they're building, especially these hedge funds and these entrepreneurs to where they can better hone their skills and they'll have more time, there will be less noise. Just on the job front, I really want to encourage people who have been thinking about entering this space to use the bear market to learn. There's a real opportunity here to learn, to do your own research, to get the skills. There's no formal education in crypto and it's not only devs and engineers that are needed. So if you work in any other industry and have just had that little inkling of like, oh, I wonder what's going on over there, I really would love to delve into something. Now is the time to just do your own research, educate yourself and when the bull market comes around, you're going to have all of the skills to join us in this wonderful, crazy, strange... Join the hash. Space. Join the hash! We're come actually looking for someone new. So, <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, okay, last take on Galaxy Digital before we toss it over. I don't know who's next, so I'm just going to throw the mic in the air and someone will grab it and we'll keep going with it. But I do think it's important to note what Wendy said. I do think this is a pretty savvy move by Galaxy Digital. They went through a lot of fire as any hedge fund that had Terra on their balance sheet was going to go through, right? They were the poster child for this token that failed. Every cycle, there's something like this. Every cycle, there's someone who explodes. Every cycle, there's someone who launches a token that should never have been launched. Every cycle, there's a token that's sold to people who should not be sold to. So I think they were sort of unlucky here, and now they're making some savvy PR moves, getting in front of the issue by hiring. We'll see if they end up hiring. Maybe Coindesk can get on top of that. Get on top of the LinkedIn numbers, see if anyone joins Galaxy over the next few weeks. Be interested to see that. But we're going to ApeCoin land next, right? That's you. I'm yeah. so excited about this, you guys. All right, Windio here, and we have a very serious story. I'm just kidding. It's not that serious. It's actually very kind of chill and fun, and we can kind of debate. And I'm waiting for Ben to kind of hop and give me a pessimistic take. I'm just kidding. All right, anyways. So with ApeCoin, there was a proposal in the ApeCoin community to basically keep ApeCoin on Ethereum because we all know that pesky Ethereum has got some major issues when it comes to doing anything on Ethereum because it's still proof of work. But I like proof of work because I think it's kind of more secure but the community decided, I think it was a 53% vote, decided to keep ApeCoin and all the other activities on Ethereum. And I would love to get all of your thoughts on this, you guys. I'll take it. 
Yeah, so this project was like the bell of the ball, and all these competing layers came out. You got it? No, I have to disclose, I do own a mutant ape, and I do own ApeCoin. <laughs> wow, we have major NFT bags here, people. Can I get your seed phrase, though, responsible. Always should be. Yeah, yeah, okay. Can I fish you real quick? All right, I'm, I'm going to do that. All right, so, yeah, I want to say that, you know, this project was like the bell of the ball, right? And all these base layers came out and said, hey, that metaverse thing you guys did on Ethereum was really botched. We're a great, speedy, cheap base layer, and we want you to build on our network instead. There was an official proposal from Avalanche. I think a couple others put their hats in the ring for this one. It is interesting. There was mention of sort of layer two scaling solutions in this proposal, but it is interesting that they're trying to stay with the leading smart contract train, which is still very much Ethereum. That's where the party is. That's where the network effect is. That's where, to a degree, the prestige is. So to see this project vote with its coins and say, hey, we're sticking with Ethereum, is certainly notable given that they've been courted actively by other networks. Interesting stuff in DAO governance. We'll see more of it as more DAOs stand up and become successful. And before I fish Wendy, I'm going to pass it to Ben. But Wendy, first, I have a question for you. Have you submitted your board ape to be in the film? No, so I actually Thanks. just have a mutant ape, which is a oh. moon bag. Love moon bags. And I have not because I'm kind of just vibing at this point. I'm very excited. I'm like just chilling and I'm just flipping this stuff, which is a lot of fun. Okay, amazing. Well, <laughs> an interesting part of this story for me was that around 30% of that vote actually came from one person, right? 1.2 million tokens were used to vote for staying on Ethereum. And I think that's a huge problem with DAOs, right? Mm -hmm. I know you two were talking about this before the show, so I will pass it off to Ben. But so many of the problems that we see in the physical world are making their ways into the crypto world. And DAOs are supposed to be this decentralized way, this community building way to govern things where everyone is equal. And in situations like this, we see that everyone is actually not equal. The more money you have, the more say you have in a lot of these DAOs, and one person really wanted to stay on Ethereum. That said, I've said this before, I think Ethereum is, you know, the Gucci of chains right now, right? It doesn't matter that it kind of sucks Hermes. and it's super expensive, but everyone wants to be on Ethereum because it was the first and it's the best. And so, I mean, I kind of get it, but Ben? I mean, what are the Gucci's you can get on Canal Street then? What chains are those, like in New York City? <laughs> no, but I think you got a good point with the issues with the Dow, where it's like, no, I love when a big bag holder starts to treat his holdings as if it were like a political action committee in a democratic institution and just kind of puts their thumbs on the scale. And, you know, I think Dow's are an interesting idea. You know, they hold a lot of promise in some ways, but the execution, we've seen numerous different issues with them. And this is one, it's the representative, you know, governance tokens that if you're, you know, a hedge fund. If you're a VC, you get in early, you get an outsized influence on this. And, you know, there are people that have different ideas about funds kind of piling into the crypto space more generally. And this is one of those issues, right? It's that even in a decentralized environment, maybe there can be centralized control, even if it's not as overt as one might think. And I think the pseudonymity helps with that. You set up a bunch of MetaMask addresses or something like that. Not saying it's happened, but it definitely has happened before. I'm playing devil's advocate. Okay, what about in skin in the game, man? That's a pillar of the crypto world. Skin in the game. This is a person who is the most invested in the future of this product. Why shouldn't they be able to have an outside say in what happens? I'm going to toss that to you. What do you think? I mean, that just rewards everybody that chose to get in first and not those that got in later. 
And then you do have a point sad. there, sir. Like, I think you do have a point. There's a larger sort of shaped object we could talk about, if that's the issue we're talking about, but it's something worth considering. It's like, how do you redistribute or think about the ways that people who come in later and believe in the mission can also have influence without having to put in $20,000 to buy a 1% stake of something? Like, those are questions I don't think we figured out. Then again, we're still early in this overall life cycle of this tech writ large, and it's something that we should be able to answer at some point. So I agree. I want to pass it over to Will because I've got a question about tech stuff because I'm not the most tech savvy. But it's really more of a morality thing because we all get into crypto to go ahead and improve our quality of life. I know that's why I did and that's what I talk to people about on my channels. And when I talk to people in real life too. But when we're talking about a down, we're not talking about somebody who got in early. Yes, I understand people can get in early, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, if we really want to help people improve their quality of life and help the underdogs kind of win at things, because really that's why Bitcoin was created. It was created for the people by the people to do this and we have this thing called a DAO where people with a lot of money or that got lucky or got in early can go ahead and decide what happens with a particular protocol or network or whatever it is. Is that really kind of the ethos we want? And then before I pass it over to Will, do you think that this proposal passed because of the Ethereum merge over to proof of stake? Mm. I don't know what's going on inside the mind of an ape, but I do think that could be a part of this. A lot of NFT holders, they've been hit pretty hard with like the environmental stuff this year. And so I could see the merge being a reason why they'd want to move to Ethereum or stay on Ethereum rather, instead of moving to another chain. Oftentimes though, a lot of these other chains are proof of stake already, right? So it might not be like necessarily a big thing. To me, it seems to be more about developer abilities. There's a lot more products on Ethereum for you to be able to build out your product going forward. MetaMask has like 30 million users. You know, you don't have that on another chain. Everyone's copying MetaMask. So if you want native support for a lot of this tech, you're going to be on Ethereum. You're going to want to stay on Ethereum. So that would be my takeaway. But again, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you. I think those are great thoughts. DAO governance, still a lot to work out on that front, right? The flip side of skin in the game is conflict of interest and also sort of plutocracy. And what we see in these networks tends to lean toward that in the early innings of DAO governance. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's a more egalitarian DAO governance model that crops up where it's more similar to one person, one vote than power of the largest bag holder. But obviously those are some of the philosophical conversations that happen in the wild world of Web3. All right, Jen, you are with our last story of the day. Please take it away. All right. Okay, Super Team Games is a gaming company out of California. They have raised $10 million to make a blockchain game that has to do with sports. And I know I always bring up these blockchain gaming sports stories. Desk. Yeah, but now it involves Sports Desk. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this today is because Ben Powers has joined us. And you have not been able to weigh in on our gaming conversations. And it looks like you're so excited to do so right now. So Ben, what do you think of uh, crypto gaming? I mean, show me a minimum viable product and I'll show you an opinion. Like, I don't know. This space is so awash in these games that are based on some form of blockchains and have some form of NFT incorporation. And that's about where the conversation seems to stop. And I would love to hear more about it. I would love to see the different things. This is sports, so it's not, you know, some of the more traditional ones where it's like sci-fi or RPGs, where it's kind of you're stacking different elements that I believe would appeal in the form of NFTs to people that are interested in them and interested in those kind of games. But to me, it's just there's got to be more details with this stuff and also 10 million relatively small raise, but maybe that's just what the market we're in. So I just want more details before I have an opinion. And I want to see these games come to fruition rather than just the 
announcements to build, more announcements to build, the next raise, and then maybe something happens, maybe it doesn't. I have a question for you, Zach. So Hit we me. talk so much about these crypto games and gamers not into it at all because of the contentious relationship between crypto and gaming. But then you think about sports, and the sports community have been really welcoming of the crypto community. And so could this be the way to start to change that narrative, do you think? I think we should also say, you know, sports team owners have been keen on this. We don't necessarily know that sports fans are using fan tokens or NFTs in any meaningful capacity, right? There's a few games, I think, like SoRare probably being the chief among them, which is a fantasy soccer game that relies on NFT cards of players and you play them instead of just collecting them. But I think that thesis might be still a bit untested. I think there's a ton of money pouring into the Web3 gaming space, and there's a ton of money betting that that distrust that gamers have expressed loudly with blockchain technology will soon be whittled away when some of the benefits of real ownership become clear to them. And I think that's ultimately what this round, what these big gaming funds are ultimately betting on. But right now, the headwinds are pretty stiff from the gaming community, and it's going to be interesting to see what that thing is, whether it's sports or other, that sort of flips the switch on play to earn in that world. Can I give a hot take? Yeah. I think that this is just so early when it comes to gaming and NFTs and Web3 and whatnot. So of course there's gonna be pushback. I don't know about you guys, but I am a total old lady. I'm a total old lady, I have a routine, I like to keep my routine, I don't like to try new things. So the fact that I even work in crypto is kind of weird, because I'm like, I have to go to bed by like 9.30 every night, super routine-like. So I feel like some gamers might be the same way. I remember my stepbrother, very interesting person, but he had a very strict routine. He would wake up, handle his business, sit back on the chair and play WoW for like 16 hours straight. He had a great quality of life, loved his life. So I feel like we're going to need to see gamers kind of break free from this archaic mindset. Before there was Sega Genesis and Nintendo 64, what did we play? What did we play? Uh, is this the old guy corner? Uh, Atari? Uh, Pac-Man? Uh, Tiddlywinks. Yeah. I've never heard of Tiddlywinks, but... Okay. I think it's going to take time because honestly, and I'm coming from this as an underdog's perspective, why would I play a game on my phone that I'm not going to earn any money doing? When even if I play a game that might not have as good graphics or might not be pushed out or developed as well, and I can even earn 10 cents. Like to me, every single penny adds up. So I feel like once people kind of understand that and can see that, I feel like it's going to kind of take wind, especially with sports fans too. And I can go on a tangent on that. Yeah, I've said this before. I think that the gamers that are resistant to crypto gaming now isn't the audience that all this money is being raised for. It's for the kids who are playing Roblox. It's for children who are growing up, not us. I'll make it quick, but I just think it's important to you to think about this. Like that mass adoption that we haven't quite seen with some of these crypto, like blockchain based games is important because that impacts the tokenomics and what happens when people get in later versus earlier. And particularly when, you know, you reach the huge scale. And I think like Axie Infinity is one of the, you know, examples held up as being incredibly successful. We saw what happened when hacks went down with that. We also saw what happened when people are just farming that constantly under like a digital real estate landlord who's like, you know, farming them NFTs so that they can get on a loan to get back in. And that creates really problematic dynamics that like reflect back on the real world. And I did a piece for Grid where I'm the technology reporter at recently about like this commodification of everything and this like X to earn of everything, whether that be like gaming, whether that be literally sex, whether that be like walking, whether that be all sorts of other stuff. And Jen kind of spoke to me for that piece <laughs> and pointed out, you know, 
when we talk about these things in gaming in particular, it sounds like this liberating, like, OG Origins, like the gig economy, where it's held up as this thing that could be really unique and flexible for everybody, but we came to see there was a darker side to that, and I think we're starting to see that in some of the larger blockchain-based games, and I just think we should consider those when thinking about all these raises and where this money might be going, and again, who's going to benefit? But, uh, Will, sorry, I cut you off, so back to you. Right. I cut Will off. He can't talk anymore. That was some good back and forth there. Anyway, we're wrapping the show today. It's a live show. There's a lot going on. It's hectic. <laughs> it's lovely. It's fun. But tomorrow, we will be back at 12 Central, 1 Eastern for another live edition of The Hash. So, signing off from Austin, I'm Zach Seward. We have Wendy O, Will Foxley, Jen Sinassi, and Ben Powers. We are The Hash. We're glad you're here. We'll see you soon. on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you, so if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. <laughs>